Hey folks, welcome to this week's podcast. If you listen closely, you can probably hear my neighbor's gardener using a leaf blower. It's kind of loud. Can you hear that? It's in the background. Me, I I rake my leaves. I can't afford a a gardener, I guess. Some years, I think the most it's been was 80 bags of leaves. That's how we do it in my town. You can't... You used to be able to rake them to the curb and they would vacuum them up. Uh, Now you must bring them to the curb in these biodegradable paper bags that cost about 40 cents each times 80. Do the math. But, okay, hey, fall's my favorite season. I And I kind of like getting the exercise of, uh, of raking the leaves. Anyway, this is not why we're here today, to talk about uh, fall landscaping. Uh, we're here to talk about the Staple Singers Faith and Grace. It's a new box set that covers the years 1953 to 1976. Four CDs and one 7-inch. And it's, a, of course, as all these things are, it's, it's a covetable, beautiful object with uh, details and essays and lots of pictures and uh, reproductions of the studio logs. And it's the kind of thing that makes, you know, record collectors w- want to have a copy. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Mr. C, uh, Joe McEwen, is the guy who uh, put this out, who conceived and produced it. He used to do a show here, and he was quite proud of it and wanted to talk about it on the air. So we did. We talked about the Staple Singers, about putting together a box set, and you're going to hear that uh, just a minute from now. Uh, some interesting things coming up as usual. Check WFMU.org slash Michael. That's about it. Here is my conversation with Joe McEwen. All right, there's It's Been a Change from the Staples Singers, and as I was saying, Joe McEwen joins us just now. He uh, used to do a show here under the name Mr. Scene, but he moved to L.A., and he's been a big uh, big shot record executive, and he's put together this Staples Singers box set called Faith and Grace, A Family Journey, 1953 19, to 1976. Uh, Joe, welcome back to WFMU. How are you? That's great. Thank you very much, Michael. It's great to be back. Yeah, station. back the old WFA. You know, I've spent the whole week listening to uh, Staple Singer stuff. You know, I've I've always been a fan. I've always thought I was a fan. I've seen them live and stuff. But like uh, when you listen to it, sort of all front to back, uh, it's pretty. You know, makes a big impact. Yeah, I mean, they're really quite a remarkable group, um, and I really felt like as much spotlight as Mavis has had recently. And even with the hits they had in the early 70s, you know, the fact that their story isn't really that well known in, in the context of of the accomplishment and the, the art that um, that they, you know, that they achieved, um, beginning with the father, Pop Staples, who was um, really the architect of the group. Yeah, well, one thing I didn't uh, rec- realize was that the band started singing together in 1949, really coming out of Pops's frustration with trying to find a band that he liked, that he worked with, that you know, that would kind of would do what was in his head. So, of course, he's got these little kids; he can kind of teach them uh, what's what he's hearing, you know. So that, that that's one of the things I learned in the in the the essays that are in this package, just how far back they go and how far back you know uh, Pops' grandfather was a slave, and the songs, kind of a lot of the songs that they started with were these songs that were just handed down. Yeah. I mean, Pops uh, grew up uh, on the Dockery Plantation, which is famous in blues lore for 
Robert Johnson, Howling Wolf, uh, Charlie Patton, maybe most famous of all. And, um, you know, it's where he picked up his guitar style, which is certainly blues. Um, but, you know, instead of going down the left path, he went down the, the right path of gospel. Uh, and when he moved to Chicago, um, you know, it's also fortunate that he had, you know, in, in Mavis, uh, you know, an incredible singer. Even as an early teen, it was pretty evident that Mavis was going to be a church record. <laughs> yeah, there's just amazing pictures also in the package of them throughout their career, including, you know, in the very beginning. And boy, you know, the, the Mavis is so young and they're just all so, you know, so beautiful and young. And uh, it's amazing. One of the th- other things, you know, I didn't realize until I sort of sort of saw it all in print was uh, how many record labels they had been on and how many albums they put out. They put out, I think, way over 25 albums throughout their career. And uh, the box starts with this uh, this 7-inch, uh, which is the first two songs they ever put out. I think it was a 78 in 1953. And then it traces their way through United and VJ and Riverside and Epic and then Stax and Kurtum. Uh you know, it's a huge, long career with all these changes, and it's, and it's very fascinating because they sort of go from a straight-up family gospel group, and then they sort of, you know, I guess just out of a desire to to play to more people or to do something else, they kind of evolve to almost to folk music, then to political music, and then finally to soul music. And it's an amazing evolution uh, to hear unfolding. Well, Pops really, I think, had the vision to keep pushing this out. You know, at the beginning, they made singles aimed at the black gospel market. And in the early 60s, you know, as folk music loomed and, you know, folk festivals were the rage and, you know, Kingston Trio and early Bob Dylan. And, you know, I think he saw that as a natural evolution for the group. And they went from, at that point, basically making singles with then album collections into making albums, you know, to sell for to an album, the folk audience. Um, and that maintained its way into Epic. And that's when... The civil rights songs crept in and Pops wrote those songs. Um, And then they started to make singles again, mostly in the black radio. Um, Especially toward the end, you can hear them trying to do crossover songs. You know, they did the Youngbloods, Let's Get Together, Uh, What the World Needs Now was one of their covers. Um, For What It's Worth was a a single that's on the box. Um, And Pops just kept pushing out. As he said, you know, we're... We're, you know, we need to, you know, we, we need to make a living, too. You would say that <laughs> live in the performance. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, there are some interesting surprises there and uh, in, in some of the covers that are on. I mean, did you are credited, I think, as conceiving and producing this. It's four CDs and that seven inch. Uh, are you the guy who, in the end, got to pick what songs were on here? Yes, yes. It was strictly uh, my choice. I tried to make it to present the best story uh for the listener and something that's listenable as well and um hopefully we achieve something well it must have been tough to to leave some of your favorites off too well originally i thought of doing all the vj songs because vj is really my favorite part of where they landed in their different spots you know i think that music is so original and so powerful i mean it's the music i think bob dylan is quoted in here talking about hearing on cloudy day for the first time and what that 
you know, how that affected him. Um, you know, and I loved all the different parts. It was great, especially going through everything and, and being able to dig into the epic stuff and Billy Sherrill, which Billy Sherrill produced. A lot of people don't realize that the, the country producer, Billy Sherrill, was given the Staple Singers as a project. Um, and he produced their best records for the most part on Epic, including the Freedom Highway album, uh, which was done in a church in Chicago. Yeah, he. they also were produced by Larry Williams. I assume it's the Larry Williams and Jerry Ragvoy. Yeah, Larry, yes, Larry Williams and Jerry Ragavoy. At the end, that's when they were started to try to make hit singles again um, and definitely looked at as sort of this crossover gospel R&B group. I think it they never miss- quite landed. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say they never, you know, Epic was around it, um, and then when Steve Cropper... Al Bell signed them to stack. Steve Cropper was given the first production reins for the first two albums, and it just never quite landed at the right space. And Al Bell was the one that took them to Muscle Shoals and and, and really figure out a place for them um, and let the musicians really lead the way. I think the rhythm section really, they, you know, Mavis became the focal point at that point completely. Um, Pops wasn't playing guitar on the records, um, and they became a solo vehicle for Mavis, which is, I think, what Al Bell saw as the vehicle for their success. Well, I mean, I never get sick of hearing those uh, Al Bell, you know, I'll take you there, and those records are some, literally some of my favorite records ever made, but I think that somehow the uh, the earlier stack stuff gets a little bit of a short shrift, because those are fine records, too. They're just not as good as I'll take you there. It's hard to compete with, you know, the, the greatest uh, records ever made uh there's also some live stuff on here there's all kinds of stuff one of the the best things on here it's it's curiously tucked at the end is a demo version and i assume it's luther ingram and and mac rice uh is that right yeah it's mac rice who wrote the song yeah it was just found we found it uh it's just some tucked away there's you know it's fortunate i think that you can really hear how different it became once you know the band started playing with it in alabama um, from the original version, you know, just the rough version that Mac had. Yeah, I think Mac is just using one, you know, maybe open tuning chord or something, and they kind of totally flesh it out. But I mean, it's that blew my mind when I came to that uh, uh, listening uh, uh, on the box set. So you, you talked about, you know, finding things in this day and age when you put something like this together. Are there still boxes of tapes that get sent around, or is that are, are oh, those days? Absolutely, days yeah, absolutely. These are all taken from original tapes. Um, the VJ tapes, we had, uh, our company had purchased VJ. Um, so the tapes arrived, they weren't in any particular order and they're still not. Um, so uh, a colleague of mine, Chris Clow, plowed through these mountains of VJ, um, tapes. And he was the one that unearthed, for example, the live recording, uh, in 1960 done in Mississippi. Um, that's completely revelatory, I think, and, and is one of the real treasures in this set. Yeah, I'm re- really proud to present. It's really exciting. Yeah, there's some, uh, so, you know, some in some of the essays in the book, you sort of talk about how you know there were all these different record labels, and none, and they all sort of had trouble sort of figuring out how to capture this obviously great thing, you know, and so, and sometimes it, it, when it works, it works so good, and some of them do have little pop 
production in the gospel, but mostly it's just uh, Pops guitar and the group singing and, you know, some hand clapping and stuff. And it's just, you know, when it works, it's so, so good. You know, it's just, it's really fun. So is it my imagination or do these things always come out right before Christmas, these sort of box sets, because that's when, (laughs) when people will buy these things? Um, no, it's not your imagination. Um, although there is some coincidence here, um, cause it was just happened to be finished then, but, um, yes, it was, uh, we, we definitely landed on the fall release to help, uh, you know, with whatever sales, um, we can get, um, there's a, I should add that there's a HBO is doing a documentary on Mavis that will air in February. Um, I've seen little clips of it um, that looks quite good. It does go back to early days of the Staples. Um, so there's that will come out in February. There's also another Mavis solo album um, with the singer, songwriter, and Ward, which I think will be out probably at that same time. So there will be a lot of Staples singers in the air for the next few months, which is a a good thing, I think. Uh, let me remind everybody that Joe McEwen is our guest and Faith and Grace, a family journey 1953 to 1976 from the Staple Singers is the project we're talking about. And I get the feeling that for you, a record executive, uh, this was sort of, in some ways, really a labor of love more than a work thing. Totally. I mean, I, this really is a labor of love and it really, this is the kind of, this is something that just makes me really excited and it's a sense of achievement or accomplishment, you know, and feeling like you've really been able to present this as a story um, and to try to do justice to the legacy of the group, which is considerable. I assume that, though, uh, the downside of your job is that you go out to dinner with friends, you go play basketball with friends, and somebody says, why didn't you put this song on here? You're an idiot, you know? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's all I can say to that. (laughs) Do you have a favorite song that's on here? Well, I write a little bit about Hammer and Nails because it really is such a transitional song for them. Um, and it was written by uh, Aaron Schroeder, who was also the head of Music Quarter Records, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, and it was a song first presented by the Staples Singers. He was a, a pop songwriter out of Nashville. Uh, he wrote songs for Elvis Presley and other people. Um, and Orrin Keepnos, the producer who signed the Staples to Prestige. Um, Riverside um, produced it, and it was their first recording. It was the first day. And um, to me, this is really a transitional moment when you went, they went from really deep, hard gospel music into the slightly more pop approach to gospel. Yeah, I agree. Let's hear it now. I mean, I agree, it kind of, but it still has that sort of funky, down-to-earth thing that makes it the, the staple singers, yet it makes it a pop record, and that's, I mean, which is per- perhaps why I, I love it so much. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, like I said, uh, Christmas is coming, folks. Faith and Grace, A Family Journey, 1953, 1976. Joe McEwen, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Michael. It takes more
Jackie is there.